Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Hello, I'm Liz Loza and welcome to the Yahoo Fantasy Football forecast presented by Planters, satisfying your snack cravings for over 100 years. What satisfied me today? Well, I will tell you, my amazing producer, Brett Rader, sent me a a mic stand. Finally, we're only like seven (laughs) months into this. So I'm no longer trying to do a podcast like some sort of Jim Henson creation. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Though I I will admit, um, I've already broken it. So we're off to a great start. Andy, um, has anyone, anything, has anyone satisfied you? My goodness, here we go. I, well, I continue to be satisfied by my mic stand. It's working just fine. I know how to operate it. Uh, that's been, that's been great. Um, although I did, I did kind of enjoy the weeks where I felt like I was hosting like a 1970s variety show, just, just holding the, holding the stick mic. That was pretty awesome. And you want to break into the Charleston in the middle of it, but then you drop your (laughs) mic. So you can't. Oh, nothing like some vaudevillian humor to get a podcast in COVID <laughs> time started. Let's get to it. <laughs> um, so we're going to start with a game that's super predictable. It's Houston at Tennessee. I don't see any issues why, of any reason that we should be uh, scratching our heads about a team that just fired its coach and another team that, uh, I guess, <laughs> made its way through a COVID outbreak. Uh, yeah, it would be obviously, uh, everything is probably a must win for Houston, but this is really a must win for Houston. They need to reel back, uh, uh, reel Tennessee back in a little bit. We have, we have a couple of the NFL's absolute worst run defenses. So that's kind of fun because we have one legitimate running back here. And then we have David Johnson, who has been great when the matchup is, is really solid and he couldn't gain an inch against, the the more dominant run defenses on the schedule, right? Like Pittsburgh was a was a no go for him. Baltimore was bad for him. But when he gets a matchup, he's been pretty frisky. So Tennessee allows five and a half yards per carry, almost 150 yards on the ground. Uh, Houston is not much better for 4.7 yards per carry. So that's it's kind of fun. Figures to be. I mean, we we always know where the ball is going to go on the Tennessee side, and nobody can seem to stop it. Right? It only goes like three places, and nobody shuts it down. Tannehill, definitely not uh, Josh Norman. No, 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 my gosh. Oh my gosh. The, oh, wow. I'm glad you mentioned the Chris Conti play with Josh Norman. I mean, you gotta, you gotta think about walking away from the game. You gotta, you gotta think about just checking out for 20 minutes or so and, and doing a personal inventory. I mean, that was, that was amazing. That was absolutely amazing. It made the whole thing worth watching. Yeah, that was, that was fantastic. Are you putting any stock into the fact you mentioned rightfully so that David Johnson uh, is not, this is shocking. I mean, I don't know 
why B.O.B. didn't consider this. Not necessarily when we're looking at his skill set considered to be a between the tackles grinder. Better, obviously, uh, on passing yeah. downs and, and via the air. But, you know, when the matchup is favorable, then he can produce for fantasy purposes. Tennessee is coming off of a short week. Uh, there was obviously, I have to imagine, some adrenaline heading into Tuesday night's game. So this, I think, might help David Johnson even a sliver more. And let's be honest, he could use all the help he can get. Yeah, yeah. The short week helps a lot. I was just looking at him year to date uh, the, the other day. And the, I guess the frustrating thing, and I don't I don't have a lot of David Johnson, so I'm not like following this on Sundays, but he's only on pace to catch like 39 or 40 balls, which is which is not what you're hoping for when you when you draft David Johnson, right? Like you you assume he's going to be a little bit inefficient as a runner, but you know, you're going to make up for it in any sort of PPR format because he's so sure he's going to catch 65 passes if he stays healthy. Well, he's not even he's not even close to that pace. So that's a that's a minor problem. Well, I think the Randall Cobb edition, right, has severely yeah. uh, lowered David Johnson's passing ceiling, not to mention Duke Johnson, but Duke Johnson hasn't really been healthy for the bulk of the season, at least for the start of it. So I do think Randall Cobb. And in this matchup, when you look at the the receivers on Houston's end, we know that we're starting Will Fuller and we're hoping that he doesn't get hurt. Same thing for Brandon Cooks, although Brandon Cooks is coming off of a pretty incredible effort. And the matchups here would tend if you're looking at the cornerback wide receiver matchup. Randall Cobb has a much better matchup in the slot than Will Fuller, who will probably see Malcolm Butler, who obviously had himself a day on Tuesday as well. <laughs> but I, how are you treating Brandon Cooks here? Yeah, I basically treat Will Fuller as the one guy that I have to start. Yeah. And I'm still like... It, if if Brandon Cooks doubles up, um, we see a couple more big games from Brandon Cooks. If anybody settles in as a as a clear, yeah, you know, it doesn't even have to be. If somebody could just deliver what like Cole Beasley is doing. <laughs> like it doesn't even have to be like star numbers. But give me give me six catches a week on on seven targets and give me sixty plus yards guaranteed, and then I can feel pretty good about starting Brandon Cooks. But the problem with Brandon Cooks has obviously been one big blow up game and um, he hurt you every <laughs> every other week. So to me, he's still in that category of guys that I'm willing to play during a buy and I'm willing to throw into a trade offer as a little bit of a sweetener, but I'm not super excited about him. Last note on this game, Darren Fells obviously had a nice effort, found the end zone. He's found a, and the end zone a couple of times, but Jordan Aikens, who was the uh, the summer hype man, the training camp star, yeah. started the season pretty strong first two weeks, but then uh, obviously was concussed against the Vikings. He is now expected back from an ankle injury, which happened after the concussion. So I wouldn't really roll with any of the tight ends here. But, you know, for desperation me measures, if some of you have been chasing points or chasing touchdowns, which I know Andy and I never recommend, but if you have been doing that with fouls, like slow that roll and look elsewhere, I'm sure we'll get to some tight end streams as we go through the matchups. And we will do that right now, moving along to Baltimore at Philadelphia. Right off the bat, Darius Slay is in concussion protocol. I want to start with, um, even though that's a defensive player, so it would make more sense perhaps to start with the Baltimore side of things from a fantasy perspective. I want to stick with Philadelphia because they have most of the news here. Elshon yeah. Jeffrey, Deshaun Jackson, both put in limited practices this week. We're still not sure. I can't believe that from a fantasy angle, we, or from a real life football angle, Doug Peterson are relying on Elshon Jeffrey and Deshaun Jackson. In theory, they could suit up uh, in week six, but after Travis Fulgham and that genie had been let out of the bottle, I'm not quite sure I need to worry about Jeffrey and Jackson siphoning away opportunities from Fulgram. Also worth noting, 
you guys, uh, our fantasy players and listeners agree with that because Fulgham's roster percentage went up 24% yeah. since waivers cleared. Yeah, he's also just like Fulgham's story is so interesting. His backstory is really interesting. Guy barely played high school football, like came to the U.S., I think, in high school. Right. And uh, so it's not not like a mystery why he ended up at Old Dominion. I can't find any holes in in that game. Right. Because he Mm -hmm. uh, he did a little damage lining up absolutely everywhere. Did it on short stuff, did it on intermediate stuff, did it on deep stuff, did it on improvisational moments, like everything that you'd want to see. He gave you uh, 152 of Carson Wentz's 258 passing yards. Like it was a, it was a complete game in every sense. And it's like we don't worry so much with Deshaun Jackson because that's almost never going to be a big workload. You know, like Djax comes in and he he almost like he helps his presence just sort of helps everybody else because he's that that lid lifter um, and he's not going to see more than five targets in all likelihood. So I wouldn't worry too much about Djax. I do think we there there are some reasonable worries about Alshon Jeffrey when he gets up to speed. Like I can't imagine Alshon comes back and plays 50 snaps for the Eagles. I can't I can't imagine he draws 10 targets right away. But at some point he gets back, Goddard gets back and there are definitely more mouths not only mouths to feed but mouths that probably deserve to be fed. Um so that's a little worry but but I mean Fulgham was so good, has such clear rapport with Wentz. I I can't imagine he slips below 8 targets in in a matchup like this. He also has an intriguing matchup against Marcus Peters, who is known to be not just an excitable and passionate DB, but also a flashy DB, right? Like he gives up big plays and he makes big plays. And when you're looking at skill upon skill, the combination of Fulgham and Peters is certainly from like a real life perspective, fascinating. It's going to be an interesting battle to watch. Yeah, I, d- I don't know that uh, I don't know that Philly can protect uh, Wentz adequately in this game. So oh, I'm no. not, you know, really, really difficult to imagine a, a big game out of out of Philadelphia's passing attack generally. So that kind of kills some of the buzz on Fulgham. But it was I, I mean, again, it was he's a fantastic story and it was just a really fun game to rewatch. 16 sacks, I believe, is what Andy is referring to, that D-line. Although, interestingly, the secondary, which hasn't been fully healthy all year, uh, only has, I believe, three interceptions. But that D-line, with the addition of Calais Campbell and friends, Mike, yeah. the 16 sacks so far. So we know the state of the Eagles' offensive line. But if, man, I just feel like if Carson can get, like, a couple, a handful of opportunities to plant his feet, then Fulgham could I really want to watch the battle between him and Marcus Peters because I think yeah. that could be one of those. It's not going to happen often, right? But you could have one of those like <gasps> big size, uh, <laughs> you know, stomach crunching kind of moments. So let's talk about Baltimore. Um, this we're doing what we're doing. Like, I, I don't know. I mean, like the questions remain around around the backfield. Mark Ingram continues to lead in terms of totes and rushing attempts, um, but this is a cannibalizing situation. And if Darius Slay is not available for this game, then we have another what should theoretically be another blow up spot for Hollywood. Yeah, it's a great spot for Hollywood. It seems like a great spot for Mark Andrews. Um, we talked yeah. about the reasons to like Eric Ebron last week, which, uh, <laughs> you know, didn't didn't necessarily pan out um, picking on Philadelphia's defense, which has been super generous to tight ends. But I mean, this is Mark Andrews this is the like designated touchdown catcher for the Ravens. He's going to have a day in this one against Philly. The 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 running game, I like you'd scratch your head. I can't think of very many things like this in the time that I have been covering fantasy because we, we talked about it last week. Like Baltimore has a legit 
almost best in the NFL rushing attack. They they are running for a, like 160 yards per game. They're third in the NFL. They do it efficiently. They are a they are a no doubt unambiguously great running game that has not produced even a top 35 fantasy running back, which just that just doesn't happen. It doesn't happen. But it's a three man committee. Are you still prioritizing on Sunday night show? I, I said that I might start to because of the ceiling available to J.K. Dobbins and his work in the passing game. I might be more willing to start ranking him aggressively. I still have Ingram a couple of spots ahead, but the the gap between the two has certainly narrowed. Yeah, I mean, I think the I think the gap in terms of year to date scoring is actually that that Ingram is like the RB 36 or 37 and Dobbins is immediately behind him. He's right behind him. So they are they are neck and neck in terms of fantasy usability. Um, I think that's basically right. I think Ingram is going to continue to uh, this is assuming everybody stays healthy. Mm-hmm. Ingram continues to lead the backfield in carries, but not in a meaningful way. Right. Like in, in just right. sort of a that's a perfect um, way to state it. Yeah. Yeah, they 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 kind of tip their cap to him and they're like, OK, you can have 12 carries and Gus will take nine and <laughs> Dobbins will take six. Right. Like that's the way it's going to go. And, uh, you know, Dobbins may be more interesting as a receiver. So Lamar didn't run a lot last week. He came into the week with a knee injury. That was probably part of it. Lamar's going to run eventually. And Lamar barely threw to his running backs last season. So I'm not I'm not assuming that J.K. Dobbins is going to be some high volume receiver at any point. Also in this matchup, though, I, I mean, I don't think a whole lot needs to be done. No, that's uh, that's totally fair. This could this could very well be another one of those games where Baltimore races out to a lead and then everybody complains to me about why isn't Lamar Jackson doing more. <laughs> but it's like it's often because Lamar Jackson has a massive lead at halftime and he doesn't need to do more. Absolutely. Um, so let's talk about our next matchup, which is Atlanta at Minnesota. Currently, at the time of this recording, this game is still scheduled to happen on Sunday. Um, there had been conflicting reports, but someone as part of the Falcons organization has tested positive uh, for COVID on Thursday. They had to close down their facility as a result. And so, although they did practice remotely. So let's talk about this game with that. It's disappointing, too, because obviously anytime you have somebody playing these two teams, especially, but if you have someone playing the Falcons, you want to talk about the opposition because there's an opportunity for giant fantasy gain. And now you have two secondaries that are pretty generous. And so this should have been, this should be a high flying affair, but let's talk about the Atlanta side first, because if, if this, this game is to happen, it doesn't look like Julio Jones will be on the field. He did not practice even remotely. On Thursday, um, we know that he is still being hampered by this hamstring injury. So even if he suits up, we also know that he's not going to be 100 percent. Yeah. And then you would think that Calvin Ridley, who I believe is $30 in our DFS game, becomes very, very valuable. Yeah, no question. It's a blow up spot for Ridley. I I would guess that we all parked him in our DFS lineups this week. I certainly did. Like he's like a play him at any price sort of sort of guy this week. Um, because it you can't you can't expect Julio Jones to play. Like I don't expect Julio Jones to play at this point. It's it's uh, obviously it's a lost season for that for that team. Um, so I don't expect to see Julio. It is I'll tell you, Russell Gage has been a significant disappointment <laughs> over the last three weeks because he came out firing. It was Hot. 10, 12 targets a game. 
And now it's single digit targets and he's barely ever over 20 yards and he's not finding the end zone. Like he was a guy that was uniquely dependent on volume because he's he's not a guy that they aggressively target in inside the red zone. So he's been a huge disappointment. Obviously, Hurst has been a huge disappointment. Gurley has been the only thing that you can really hang your Gurley and Ridley, really the only thing. How you about can hang that for on. 2020 uh, news line? <laughs> Todd Gurley, the only thing in Atlanta you can hang your hat on. Yeah. Um, All right, so let's talk about Minnesota then. Dalvin Cook did not practice Wednesday or Thursday. Obviously injured his adductor slash groin in the narrow loss against the Seahawks. I can't believe he came back in that game. Like, I can't believe they trotted him back out onto the field. He should have just been... I don't don't know what they were thinking. Well, I, I mean, he rolled up like nearly 100 yards in the first half. So also, as exciting as that is, like the fact that Madison rolled up over that amount total, uh, where yeah. you have 136 scrimmage yards, Madison did in the second half of the game was like you 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 knew that like probably at the end of that game, unless Cook was pulled, if he had stayed healthy because the you know because of just freshness or load load management, which wouldn't have made sense given the score. But regardless, Cook could have had like a 200 yard effort in that one, which is incredible. But anyway, he's not going to play. Like <laughs> there, there's no way he's going to play. Nobody might. Have, Nobody might play in this matchup anyway, but Madison obviously has a giant opportunity here, um, and he is shockingly still available in nearly 40% of Yahoo leagues. Like that's just crazy to me because uh, in my in my view, Madison and and Chase Claypool were were the were the one and two in some order uh, in terms of waiver claims this week, and and it seemed pretty obvious based on the nature of Cook's injury and the quality of the upcoming opponent and all that that we wouldn't see him this week. Um, Ma- Madison is I don't know ninety to ninety five percent of whatever you would expect from Cook, and listen that that extra five or ten percent is what makes Dalvin Cook um, one of the most valuable running backs in football and all that. I'm not trying to to. to track from Delvin Cook anyway, but Madison is really good. Madison is a really good player. Just gave you 20 carries for 112 yards and um, should be viewed going into this one as a top five fantasy running back, I think. Hundo P, let's move on. I mean, Kirk Cousins is obviously a streamable option. My husband this morning was like, do I pick up Kirk Cousins? Let's also... Oh, what a trap that is. What a total trap that (laughs) is, right? Like, this is exactly the game where Kirk Cousins doesn't come through Throws up on himself, right? Yeah. also, Joel is a Washington football fan, so there's some like weird allegiances that that have yet to die. Um, but <laughs> the point is, my husband plays on Yahoo. Cousins is available. He needs a quarterback. If you're in a pinch for a stream, we've got other options. We're going to talk about one a little bit later, but Cousins does uh, fit the bill in terms of on-paper matchups here. Yep, no question about it. The Browns and the Steelers are playing this this, these two teams never get physical when they meet, so it should be a really, <laughs> really gentlemanly affair. Um, we should say right off the back that <laughs> Odell Beckham Jr. went home with a, quote, illness. He was given a COVID test, and we are awaiting the results of which should be revealed uh, probably shortly after or around the time you are listening to this podcast. But at the time of recording, we do not know whether this illness is covid or some non-COVID related illness. Yeah, this is uh, this is something that we're probably going to, you know, what what am I? I'm not like anti epidemiologist here or whatever, but like we're probably going to have to get used to some of this as we get into the fall. We get into cold and flu season, right? Like guys are just going to show up with with sore throats. They're going to they're, they're going to yeah. show. Yeah, they're going to be sick and it's not going to be COVID, but we're going to get these scares constantly. 
And obviously everybody hopes that Odell is okay and that this game proceeds and, and there's no issue on Cleveland side. Haven't, as of this moment, heard anything to make me particularly worried about Odell. Landry also not practicing yet this week. Mm-hmm. Like we're here, here we are on Thursday and Jarvis Landry hasn't practiced either. So things aren't things aren't perfect uh, on the on the Cleveland side in terms of health. But what a like what a fun thing that it's week six and these two teams are playing for like divisional supremacy. That's kind of fun. Yes. And the fa- like you're mentioning uh, Jarvis Landry, it's not just the hip issue. We should clarify, too. It's not just the yeah, hip, hip issue Sorry. that he's had. It's a new thing because he had that offseason hip injury and there were some load management admissions about his usage earlier in the season. But now he's got a, a rib issue, I believe. So he's not going to be 100 um, percent, even if he does hit the field. OBJ might not play. All the more for Kareem Hunt, because we don't have Nick Chubb available, obviously. Kareem Hunt, by the way, also playing through a couple of injuries, but we know that he can do all the things. If you were, let's say, let's just say, Andy, that you're in a stupidly deep super flex league (laughs) that that steals everything off the waiver wire the minute somebody, I want to say sneezes, but like I can't make that reference uh in 2020 uh anytime somebody flinches and so uh you had to throw a dart at this receiving core are you choosing donovan people jones rookie out of michigan love his skill set sure do or rashad higgins or somebody else that i didn't mention and it can't be a tight end yeah it's probably higgins for reasons of familiarity between qb and player I'm, i don't say obviously i'm not saying that with any enthusiasm here um yeah that's a that's a that's a rough choice i mean because they're also facing not that pittsburgh has been dominant against the past this season but this is a very good defense so i i don't think there's a ton of upside there like i i definitely feel like if if landry and uh if either landry or beckham couldn't go and nobody's saying that's the case right now. But if that were the case, um, I wouldn't feel particularly good about anybody here. But it would probably I would probably lean Higgins. But you seem not- like like you're like the person on, on Twitter who asked the the question that is so leading. Like it's clear who you want to who you want to choose. And it's not Higgins. No, I, I want to play Donovan Peoples-Jones because I, I really like him. <laughs> and I think he has like a fresher skill set. And I also, you know, obviously like Kareem Hunt is a is a top 12, top 10 start because of volume. But the matchup is not great for him. It's not great for Baker Mayfield. We know that when, you know, he feels pressure, he tends to get shook. If he doesn't have someone who can pull off a highly athletic play like OBJ or be a safety valve like Jarvis Landry, then who the hell is going to make any splash? Like, how are any points going to be accrued in this matchup? And the, there is a real possibility that like Kareem Hunt doesn't finish this game. And so then who are we rolling out? Yeah. Who are we, it's, it's that Ernst, Ernst the a- AF guy? Like, th- this could be <laughs> exceedingly problematic. Let's move over to the Steelers side of things because... If you want to talk about problems, Deontay Johnson has had problems staying on the field. And if there's a silver lining here, it's that we all got introduced to another rookie second round pick out of Notre Dame, uh, Chase Claypool in his wild four touchdown dominance last week. Also, not the first time he found the end zone. That also happened another time that Deontay Johnson was out, uh, I believe, in week two, week two or week three. I don't have my game notes fully in front of me. Deontay, um, Deontay had a had the concussion in week three and Claypool ended up actually out snapping every other Pittsburgh receiver. I think it was week two that that uh, Claypool had the 84 yard touchdown like Claypool 
in every game has had a splash play, has had a, a play of 20 plus yards. It happened in opening night against the Giants. And it's it, like it's happened every every game. So we've had little flashes. And now, like now that he's seeing the field this often, I I just I can't believe that they're going to be like, OK, Deontay's back. Claypool, sorry, it's two targets again for you. Like there, there's just there's just no way. Like in my mind, there's like a 30 percent chance that by the end of the season, we're all looking at this like he's clearly the number one receiver on the Steelers. Wow. Number one, I was going to say that even as the number two, uh, theoretically behind Juju Smith-Schuster, we always know that the number two in Pittsburgh produces for fantasy. So it's a good spot to be in. He's already leapfrogged James Washington. That's what happens um, (laughs) when you post up four touchdowns in a game. Um, I will say coverage-wise, he's probably going to see a lot of Denzel Ward, who's only allowed two touchdowns so far this season, but has given up over 130 receiving yards so far this year. So when you, again, if you're matching like skill set and skill set, I, I think that Claypool has another giant opportunity. How are you ranking him? I mean, you, are you putting him in that like melange of high upside wide receiver threes because of the question marks surrounding Deontay Johnson? Um, I've got him, I've got him either wide receiver 26 or 28 right now. It's something like okay. that. I'm, I mean, I'm pretty bullish on him. I can't, again, I can't like, he's also a guy who just has such like, he has a physical skill set. He has an, he has athletic traits that are rare in the NFL. Like he was a, he murdered the combine, right? It was a 40 plus inch mm. vertical, um, low four, four speed at six, four. And I, like, he's huge. Like his combination of size. And the other thing about all those athletic traits is you see them immediately on the field. It's not, he's not one of these guys where like, okay, he ran a four, three, but I'm not seeing it. Kevin white, you know, it's like, <laughs> he's a crazy athlete and it is immediately apparent that he is the, like one of the fi- one of the best athletes on the field like in an NFL game, which is which is kind of crazy for a rookie. Like it doesn't the game does not seem too fast for him whatsoever. I mentioned coverage. You mentioned Eric Ebron a little bit earlier. In theory, Cleveland giving up some big plays over the middle of the field. This should be a good spot for Eric Ebron. But how willing are you to trust him and roll the dice? Yeah, I'm I'm uh, maybe I'm on a break from Eric Ebron after <laughs> last week's uh, yes. after last week's bold prediction on Ebron, which did not come to pass. Um, feel like the process was OK, but the the outcome certainly not. So I, I don't think you can view him as much more than like somewhere in the in the tight end 12 to 16 range. That's probably where I'm going to park him most weeks. There's another tight end, an older tight end who used to play fo- uh, who who used to play basketball, by the way. I don't know if that's a piece of trivia <laughs> that anyone's interested in. His name is Jimmy Graham. He plays for the Bears now. He used to play for their division rivals last year. And the Bears are traveling to Carolina. So Jimmy Graham, what if we're talking about waiver wire ads? Woo, Graham was his his uh, roster percentage has certainly risen after the Thursday night effort against the Bucks. Oh, highlight catch too. Um, and it, it feels like, I, you know, I don't have the data in front of me. It feels like two thirds of his targets are coming like literally in the end zone, right? Every, every time they get in sight of the end zone, Jimmy Graham just parks himself and posts up and they they fling a couple of balls his way. And he made an absolute beauty uh, of a of a catch like the the one hander against the Bucks was a was a game changer. Like, it was great. Like he's I got I got no complaints about Jimmy Graham. And this is this is the kind of season that we sometimes see from a tight end to who sort of backs their way into a, like a top six, top eight positional finish. It's usually outside the top three or four guys at this position. It all comes down to, to touchdowns. And he's pretty clearly going to finish this season as long as he stays healthy with like eight to ten. 
You guys should all know that Andy Barron's eye is 100% spot on and not just because he's a Bears fan, but because, listen to this stat, Jimmy Graham has nine red zone targets. That's number one among <laughs> tight ends. So you're 100% right. When Jimmy yeah. Graham is catching a touchdown or catching a pass in general, it's in the red area of the field, and that doesn't seem to stop. The matchup against Carolina, pretty solid. If you need a stream, get your stream on. This is a good one. From the Carolina side of things, biggest news is obviously that there's no, still no Christian McCaffrey and um, that K1 Short has been lost for the season. This is already a defense that's young and banged up, but making the matchup for the Bears all the all the more easy, which is forget <laughs> fantasy for this. Like, let's capitalize, guys. Come on. I know. Like Carolina has actually surprised a little bit to this point in the season against the past. They've been, mm. you know, it, anything better than last is better than anybody thought. But they've been like, you know, less than six and a half yards per attempt and all that. But they lost not only not only short, which is a huge loss to the defense. But Brian Burns was concussed like they suffered some damage uh, in in week five defensively. So it was already a bit of a shaky defense. And now they've now they've really taken some hits. So this I mean, if. Like if there's going to be a blow, I don't even know what would constitute a blow up exactly for David Montgomery, but it is a very good spot for David Montgomery. I will say that Denver at New England. Finally, a week later, a week after we anticipated it, let's just get <laughs> into the, ing- <laughs> the the awesomeness that is this matchup. Um, things have changed because uh, we have two quarterbacks back now. We've got yeah. Cam Newton and Drew Locke expected both to play in this one. Oh, and Melvin Gordon got a DUI. He's expecting a two to three game suspension. Yeah, the Gordon thing as we as we speak, we don't know if he's going to play, not play. We don't know exactly what uh, what the team is going to do in terms of discipline. Um, it's obviously you know Philip Lindsay's coming back, and Philip Lindsay looked like he was probably going to be eight to ten touches a game to start the season alongside Gordon. Obviously, if if Gordon can't go, it's Lindsay, and it's probably the return of nice. Royce Freeman to some level of relevance, um, which is fine. Like that's enough. New England's defense is obviously a strong brand, but they haven't been great this year. Like they just haven't been great. They've they've given up over eight yards per pass attempt, about four and a half yards per carry. They they really haven't stopped much of anything. So it's not it's not a like it's not a, a matchup that I would just back off of if I were you know if I had Lindsay on a bench and I needed to cover a buy. Stephon Gilmore obviously also on the COVID list, which uh, he was removed rather from the COVID list. So now the defense is stronger than. It would have been last week. Um, yeah, which probably impacts. Um, I don't even want to guess at where we're going to find Gilmore. Like Tim Patrick had become a thing. Uh, touchdowns in back-to-back weeks and seeing pretty significant target totals. He's got some size. Jerry Judy has obviously made the most of his playing time. He's uh, he's uh, had a couple of big splash plays. So it's not a, not a bad receiving core. We don't yet know if Noah Fant is going to play, although he has practiced and he practiced in the middle of the week, which is generally a good sign. Worth mentioning that next week, Tim Patrick, who a lot of people added on waivers before this game was um, rescheduled, um, they he will have the Chiefs uh, the week after this. So I'm not quite sure that you want to drop him just yet. Um, yeah. But yes, okay, let's talk about the Bengals at the Colts. We are hoping, obviously, for a Burrow bounce back after the Ravens did Raven-like things <laughs> to him. <laughs> you know, Indy's defense still pretty good, although uh, Darius Leonard does have a groin injury. He actually got hurt in week four in that game against Chicago, but then missed the game against Cleveland last week. He's doubtful for this week against Cincinnati. So I think that Mixon is probably relieved after dealing with the Ravens last week that he could 
have a little bit more room to run. Yeah, a little bit more room. Although Indy, Indy is one of those things, and I feel like we've talked about it before, where I just thought it was an accident of the schedule early in the right. season. I just, I just thought no way. Like, I know a lot of these players, and I like, I don't think that you could, you could throw them all together and make a great defense out of it. But like, we're we're in week six, and Indy ranks number three against the run and number one against the pass. Um, and they've seen enough opponents now that that there's you know a lot of the noise has been taken out of it, and they've just been really good. So it's not a it's not a like it's another rough spot for for Burrow presumably, um, which is a disappointment. I had to I had to cut him in a short bench league uh, uh, early oh, a few so days sorry. ago, and <laughs> it bothered me. It bothered me because I feel like the second half of the season is just going to be great for Joe Burrow. Like I feel like he's going to be a thing, um, but you can't carry everybody. I think he's going to be a thing for sure. And when you're mentioning, I just want to quickly, you're talking about the Colts defense and how maybe it's some is greater than its individual parts, which should be a credit to Matt Eberflus and why yeah. I think Matt Eberflus will be the head coach of the New York Jets next year. So I'm putting that prediction in right now. Also good call. He's going to get really a head call. coaching job. Um, all right. So the other thing is like Indianapolis is not a very, I said this, uh, on last week's pod, I, I'm not excited about the Colts in any way. I don't know how anyone watches like Philip rivers and think, wow, this is a high <laughs> octane offense. Um, even Jonathan Taylor, like, ugh, like th- th- there's just, there's no, oomph. we had oomph for a second at the top of the season until both of the young receivers got hurt. And then it was Mo Alley Cox. And then, Oh, Trey Burton comes back and he (laughs) has drawn 11 targets since returning from the calf issue that had kept him hampered in the uh, over the summer and in August. Now he's second in team targets behind Hilton. He was second in team targets behind Hilton last week. He was third in team targets the week before. He's only rostered in 9% of Yahoo League's. The Colts have a theoretical buy next week, though. You made this point and I sung your praises about it on Sunday. You cannot plan ahead. So like if somebody has a buy next week, you don't know that that's going to be their (laughs) buy next week after all. In theory, the Colts have a week seven buy. So I don't know if you want to snatch Burton in hopes of playing him more than one week. But um, it is worth saying that the Bengals are allowing about 60 yards per game to opposing tight ends. So you need a stream. It is no longer Jack the Dad or the basketball <laughs> player Mo, but Trey Burton seems to be. And it got, doesn't it make sense? There's a, like such a like such a Philip Rivera. Like that's the guy that he's into. It just I don't know. It makes so much sense. Totally, totally. Yeah, it's yeah. uh, it's really it's unfortunate that it's turned Mo Alley Cox into a drop. But you can't yeah. like at this point you certainly can't play him. He's playing like ten snaps a game and you know miraculously catching the occasional touchdown. But he's he's just not seeing enough playing time to stay on rosters. Detroit at Jacksonville. This game is I think has appeal for fantasy managers like before fantasy football i don't think anyone would have looked at this matchup and been like oh yeah i can't wait to see the lions and the jaguars man that's amazing (laughs) look look at that like fantasy has turned this matchup into one of i would say the most anticipated on this week's slate i want to take it from detroit side of things first coming off by matt stafford has an opportunity to smash here against jacksonville the we know we know we love kenny galladay obviously but when we're looking at like head scratching pieces of the Lions offense it's their backfield that remains really really crowded Adrian Peterson still leading it with 43 percent of the snaps DeAndre Swift behind him with 38 percent of the snaps but Jacksonville has a bottom five run defense so I would theoretically put (laughs) 
Adrian Peterson in that RB25 range, like right on that RB2 to RB3 bubble. But, oh, he also went home with an illness and we don't know which illness. So good luck. (laughs) Yeah, that's about right. Like assuming Adrian Peterson is going to play, like you would have to have a pretty loaded roster to not start him in this one. Um, Jacksonville's defense has been very poor against everything. They're like, they're like 26th or 27th against the run. They give up almost nine yards per pass attempt. Like you, like you mentioned it. Um, I, I find myself getting really excited for Jacksonville games. All I was so excited for that stupid Thursday night game between Jacksonville and Miami. Like every Jacksonville game has, um, has carnival appeal. So that's been really fun. We should, should probably mention that DJ Chark hasn't practiced yet. Didn't, mm-hmm. didn't practice through Thursday had the ankle injury. He was when he played through the ankle injury in December of 2019. It wasn't good. He has a history of ankle issues. Um, If he can't go like that's been the one bad game that Gardner Minshew had for fantasy purposes all year was and that was the Miami game. That, that was mentioned. the Miami was game, the third, yeah. and Conley Conley was brutal. Um, nothing worked. Uh, timing was off with everyone, and so if like if I don't I don't want to oversimplify and say that DJ Chark is the key to the offense, but it's a huge blow to to Jacksonville if he can't if he can't play. Tyler Eifert, not that anyone is necessarily starting him, but Tyler Eifert did not practice on Thursday. He has a neck issue. I mention this because when you're talking about Chark being a potential key for this offense. LaVishka Chenault is now finding himself a groove. And if both Eifert and Chark are missing, this gives Chenault more opportunities, right? The the pass has opened up more to him. And we know that he's taking touches out of the backfield as well. He's a versatile player. He has incredible yak appeal out of Colorado. I think if I was going to put a fearless forecast on this, I was not assigned to wide receivers this week. That is my duty next week. Very much looking forward to it. I think he can <laughs> he can clear 80 yards and find the end zone in this one against Detroit. This is a defense that's giving up nearly 250 receiving yards and two scores per week. But also he has yeah, a little lo- bit of a hamstring injury, but he's been playing through the hamstring injury. I I love that call. He's uh, over 150 receiving yards over the last couple games. They they make sure to give him a couple carries each game too, so he's like a total yards guy, not just a receiving yards guy. I he's so fun to watch too. Like he never goes out of bounds quietly, right? It's always just a, it's always just a war to get him out of bounds. Um, he's a, a, he's a really fun player. And for him to do this on, on volume as a, as a rookie, this, this early in the season has been super impressive. Yeah. I, I like that call a lot. I think he's a, I think he's an easy wide receiver three this week. Are you ready for an NFC East showdown between the Washington <laughs> football team and the mighty G men? Not uh, even for fantasy can I get excited about ready. this game. <laughs> yeah. Um, let's see. Daniel Jones has gone four straight games without either a passing touchdown or a rushing touchdown, which like maybe that would occasionally happen for quarterbacks in like 1974, but it is just shocking to see it in, in 2020. <laughs> That's crazy. That's crazy. He's got receiving talent, no passing touchdowns in four straight weeks. Um, you know, had that nice little moment with Darius Slayton in week one and that was it um so De- Devonte freeman was fine but it was against dallas last week um there's just not a lot on the new york side to get excited about no and if there is a silver lining for washington it's their d-line so <laughs> good <laughs> win a sweat right, day right. have fun with that you know i will mention that it looks like kyle allen will be the quarterback under center for the football team and y'all can do with that what you like <laughs> 
<laughs> it's a, I mean, it's a terrible Ola. Like it was fun to see Alex Smith play last week. Obviously that was great to see. And, and, uh, you know, congrats to him on coming back and all that. But like, you were also terrified at every moment because, um, against the, the Rams, no less. <laughs> oh my gosh. Aaron Donald jumping on his back. Um, and, and like, they just, they just couldn't keep the pass rush off of him. It's half the reason that they keep throwing all these screens and little checkdowns to, to Gibson and McKissick is because they can't, they can't block anybody. They can't keep edge rushers off of their quarterbacks. So yeah, not too excited about Kyle Allen. Thanks. I did think it was pretty classy of Aaron Donald as an aside to tweet that he felt like Aaron, Alex Smith's leg was very strong. He was like, and that leg is strong, which yeah. I thought was a nice, yeah. like, here's this guy who doesn't really want to do his job. And he happens to be one of the premier pass rushers of the league. And who wants to sack Alex Smith right now? It's like the only <laughs> good story of the week. There's no optimism here. And Aaron Donald's like, Seriously. well, I guess I'm, I guess I'm going to truck him because your damn tackle is letting me. <laughs> And then he goes out and tweets again, I think, very classily by saying that leg is strong. So tip of the hat to Aaron Donald. Um, Terry McLaurin is interesting. You're going to continue playing him. Just a side note, I think we've mentioned it a couple of times, but James Bradbury, the uh, cornerback for the Giants, obviously a very high-priced acquisition from the uh, from the offseason or from the free agent period, um, was has been very good in coverage. He has been quite good in coverage. And so... You've seen Terry McLaurin beat other top-end cornerbacks, um, but again, I would manage expectations, especially when you're pairing that with Kyle Allen's arm. Yeah, I hope we get Terry McLaurin like a legit quarterback pretty soon because I don't want to see him go the Allen Robinson, Brandon Marshall route where it's just a, mm. it's just an incredible receiver who is tied to a parade of, of unfortunate quarterbacks. We wanted to say thanks again to our sponsor for this episode, Planters. When you want to satisfy a salty craving, Planters has you covered. Their deluxe mixed nuts are roasted to perfection and seasoned with sea salt, giving you the crunchy texture and enhanced flavor you crave. Stay satisfied with Planters Deluxe Mixed Nuts. Andy, get up, get up. Let's get excited. We got the New York Jets without Le'Veon Bell at Miami. Yes. Flacco (laughs) fits. Miles Gaskin, Frank Gore. I will make your Flacco Fritz fits an answer with Miles Gaskin, who I do think can eat in this one against the Jets. Yeah. And Frank Gore, which obviously is not a pick with a ton of upside, but when Bell was sidelined earlier in the season working through injury, Gore averaged 17 touches per game. And the Dolphins run defense are giving uh is giving up five yards per carry to opposing rushers. So there is enough here. For a desperation play, it's a hugely basement floor level play, but you can put him in like the RB 35 to 40 ish range, I think. Yeah, he's also one of those guys where you just kind of know what you're getting. Like the ceiling and the floor are so close. Like the floor is 62 yards and the ceiling is 68 yards or something like that, right? Like he's, you know, we we know what we're getting from from Frank Gore at at this stage and it's six fantasy points. That's, (laughs) That's what it is. Do we have anything else to say about this game? Um, I don't have a lot to say about this game. Preston Williams uh, finally did a thing, but he still only saw five targets. So, no. <laughs> All right. All right. Next up, we've got the Packers at the Bucks. Devontae Adams is back. So that's optimism. But with optimism always comes a little bit of negativity. And that is leaning whose way, Andy? I'm sorry. Are you negative on anyone in this game? 
Um, I'm not. I'm not really down on anyone here. You down on Tanya? Well, you worried about it, Tanya? You worried I'm about? I'm not MVS? worried about Tanya. And I delivered Tanya to all you fools. So don't ever come at me about my peach <laughs> picks ever. Before he was a thing. Thank you. But I would say that if you have one receiver back and he is the receiver, then maybe another receiver doesn't get the same number of opportunities as he did when the other guy was out. I feel like MVS was a relatively popular waiver ad this week. And I like I didn't give him a particularly strong recommendation in the pickups column. Um, He's a he's obviously a flawed player, right? He did see a decent number of targets last week. I think it was eight targets. But I mean, there's almost every game, every other game. There's a play where a ball hits him in the face and he doesn't catch it. Uh, (laughs) So he's a he's a relatively problematic player. Devante being back is is obviously great. And he he takes 12 to 14 targets and Tanyan gets all this goal to go work. Right. Tanyan has five touchdowns on 14 targets, which is amazing. Amazing. Chris Godwin, if we're talking about about positivity, he has practiced all week. He's expected back. It will be nice to see, I have to say, after not getting to see some of the quarterback showdowns that we anticipated immediately coming to mind, obviously, is Patrick Mahomes and Cam Newton. The fact that we will get the Packers at full health, minus Alan Lazard, but calm down, and Tom Brady with his um, arsenal of players also back. It was interesting on Mad Bets. I was posed the question: Do you think that Aaron Rodgers will pass for two more touchdowns than Tom Brady? And hmm. of course, the health of these respective respective receiving cores was going to help, you know, fuel my answer in this one. But I I can't help. It's been a minute, you know. Like I don't normally like cruise down Narrative Street, but Tom Brady has had some extra time to stew about the fact that he not only lost track of downs, but also dropped one (laughs) to the Bears. So I said that I didn't think, I took the under on, I didn't think that Aaron Rodgers would best Brady by two whole scores. Where are you on that prop? Um, that's a, that's a super interesting question, actually, because I don't, I, you can't put it past Aaron Rodgers at this point to throw four mm-hmm. touchdowns in any given game. So it's really a question of, of Tom Brady getting to three, which, which I actually think he can do. Um, this Green Bay defense, like kind of sneakily, kind of quietly has, has just not been good. Um, they give up 8.1 yards per pass attempt. They give up almost five yards per carry. So, opponents have been able to do pretty much whatever they want. It just doesn't matter because Aaron Rodgers is like, 2011 Aaron Rodgers again <laughs> and he's, yeah. he's you know 40 points a week if you if you need it so I yeah I think I think Brady can get there it's not a, a again it's not a bad matchup at all uh we expect Mike Evans to go even though he's been injured for I don't know what feels like two years but Godwin coming back would make a would make a huge difference and then you saw you saw last week even in, even you know obviously in a losing cause um Tyler Johnson was really good. They just have a deep receiving core. And I know that Scotty Miller let everybody down um, because he seemed like an almost sure thing last week and then put up a zero for you. But some of that is just a function of how how deep and talented um, their their young receivers are. And you don't have to worry about it this week. So don't even deal with the Scotty Miller equation because you've got Godwin back. Let's move along to the Sunday night game. You've got the Rams at San Francisco, another divisional showdown. Woo, lots of people jawing over the two tight ends for the Rams. Higby was the December late season all-star, obviously. Gerald Everett, though, had started the season hotter, was the hotter option the year before. Sean McVay has been very decisive about being indecisive. He has said, whether it's about (laughs) 
his tight ends or his backfield. I'm going to play who I feel like playing. He does not care about, he is the new, I do not care about your fantasy squad. So he said uh, as early as uh, earlier this week, in fact, that he wanted to find opportunities to get Everett involved and believes him to be a talented player. And that had nothing to do with Tyler Higby. Yeah. Higby is still like Higby is still playing a ton. He's on the field all the time. He's on the field like better than 60% of the time, most games. So you don't really have to worry about that, but he doesn't, he doesn't have a big target game yet. And I'm, I'm just going to end up taking a, a a loss on Higby. I mean, his, the streak of games that he put together at the end of last season, like you just don't often see, you know, three, 400 yard games in a row from a, from a tight end. Um, it was a, like, I, I felt that he fully emerged, um, but the targets have just not been there to support it. And so Everett, while he's not necessarily playing as much, he gets targeted a lot when he's on the field. Like there's a pretty good chance that the ball is going to Gerald Everett when he's on the field and he's uh, clearly an explosive athlete. So I, I agree. This is going to get really frustrating. We're, we're probably one additional, um, Tyler Higby let down from him, from him being a drop in a lot of leagues too. Perfectly stated. Obviously both Cooper cup and Robert Woods remain top 12 plays from the San Francisco side of things. Jimmy G, according to Kyle Shanahan, was benched last week because the ankle was giving him trouble and because Shanahan felt like the game was out of reach anyway. So why bother potentially further injuring the quarterback? I like that about Shanahan, that he'll just bench your ass no matter who you are and what your contract is. If like if it's as ugly as it was last week. Um but of course, I'm I'm saying that as well because C.J. Beathard, my guy, came into the game. I'll always root for that kid. But yeah, so uh, not a not not a spectacular matchup, obviously, for Garoppolo here. So it's not like some get right spot for him. The Rams' pass defense has been really really good. They've hardly allowed a, a passing score all season. So um, not a good spot for him. Not a good spot necessarily for his receiving weapons. Um, you can always feel okay about Kittle. Can't feel very good about Debo in this one. I wouldn't think it's gonna be it's gonna be messy for. Uh, for San Francisco, I feel another guy I should mention on the Niner side who uh, is probably a drop right now is Jarek McKinnon, who barely played with Mostert back. That was the last point I wanted to make was that Mostert, obviously, he, he has ripped off at least 100 scrimmage yards in every single game that he has played one, two and five Miami, the Dolphins last week, obviously a pretty easy matchup, but he is to be the uh, 49ers RB1 and the Rams have not been as good against the run as you might anticipate or expect. So this is a good spot for him. Monday night, double header, baby. Who saw it coming? None Ooh. of us. 2020, I guess. <laughs> um, big breaking news off the top of this matchup. The Chiefs at the Bills. Le'Veon Bell. It is official. Now a member of the Kansas City Chiefs. Honestly, my knee-jerk reaction is I hardly know what to feel because I I, I don't I don't have any Le'Veon Bell this year because I think it's an open question as to whether he's any good anymore. He was terrible last season. He was brutal last season, and some of it was the line, but like three point two yards per carry. He was utterly lifeless. Certainly, his rushing style and that offensive line last season did not mesh. And he he had a little value sometimes because they still threw to him. But uh, I, I think it's at least an open question as to Le'Veon, as to whether Le'Veon Bell is even close to as good as Clyde Edwards-Alaire. And I know people have been disappointed um, by by CEH a little bit because he's not he's not making a lot of house calls or anything like that. But the like the rates have been absolutely fine. He's picking up 4.2 yards per carry, averaging almost 10 yards per reception. Um, ever since week one, when he didn't catch a thing, he's he's been heavily involved as a as a receiver. 
plenty of targets. Um, he He's done nothing wrong here. But uh, of course, we have to assume that Le'Veon Bell, when he gets up to speed, is going to see. Uh, I mean, you wouldn't bring Le'Veon Bell into your building and then not give him 50 percent of the of the backfield workload. You would have to imagine that is the truth. But there is also an opportunity where it's hard to negotiate because you did draft a rookie in the first round. And that rookie is, while not perhaps smashing, as you alluded to, particularly, you know, in the red area of the field, not really scoring touchdowns, um, is still an exceptional talent attached to an explosive offense and the best quarterback in the league. And so, like, if you're adding Le'Veon Bell and you're going to give him double-digit touches, there's also an opportunity where if he does not produce, those get taken away. I'm not saying that this is a perfect apples-to-apples comp, but I was in the locker room after the Super Bowl, and nobody was talking to LaShawn McCoy. And he used to be something. <laughs> and he was a scratch yeah. in the biggest game of his career. Yeah, I it's like this just bums me out as a landing spot for Le'Veon. And I feel like people are going to... I feel like people are people people who ranked him high coming into the season, people who drafted him bullishly. You're sort of backing into a, a really good situation here that you don't you don't deserve. It was a it was a bad process that got you here. But hey, here, here he is with the Chiefs. And we will see. Well, at least we know for this week he is unlikely to do much damage. Right. Like we're not are you I'm not expecting him to play on Sunday for the Chiefs. No, Monday. I'm not going to. I'm not going to I'm not going to rank him um, even even if he's active. It's hard to imagine that he would get anything more than a just taste of the field and it would still be Edwards Alaire. I, I, I mean, you're not going to you're not going to trot him out there, you know, to help protect Patrick Mahomes or to be a safety valve for Patrick Mahomes when he doesn't really when he doesn't really like you may put together a, a small collection of plays uh, for Le'Veon Bell just to get his feet wet. But that that would have to be the extent of it. This game does have the highest over under of the entire slate of games for week six at 57 and a half. So there should be lots of opportunities. I would love to see CEH smash here and just make everyone's head scratch. I think that would be a great opportunity. And I I mean, we don't know what the conversations. Le'Veon Bell did say that he was prioritizing, obviously, money. That's what he's usually been about historically, right? You can't blame him. He's a businessman. Go ahead. But also where he has the chance to excel in a postseason. So we'll see where this shakes out. We also have to talk about the Bills backfield because Zach Moss finally practiced in full on Thursday and he should be back. So what does that do to Devin Singletary? I I looked back at the different red zone touches and Moss had eight red zone carries in week one. We came out of week one saying that we knew who the goal line back outside of Josh Allen was in Buffalo and it was Zach Moss. And then he went and had zero in week two. Was it partially because of the injury? Sure, whatever. It's also, you know, worth noting that Singletary is averaging about two red zone uh, totes per contest. And TJ Eldon is not a red zone option, but has been serviceable as a change of pace back. Yeah, I feel like there's a good chance that we come out of this week with uh, Zach Moss being one of the more popular waiver ads, right? Because he did have that, like, he had the role that we'd all sort of imagined for him in week one. And it didn't necessarily lead to anything. It wasn't super efficient. Um, I think he had a touchdown in week one. But he was, like, he was on the field at the right moments for fantasy purposes. And that was a that was at least a really good thing. You still have to, obviously, you have to worry about Josh Allen poaching um, every other rushing touchdown when they get inside the five-yard line, the 10-yard line, like that's still a thing. But Zach Moss was playing in the right situations. And uh, if he gets back to that role and it's it's a dozen touches a game, but a huge percentage of those touches are are inside the 20-yard line, that's like, that's gold. That's great. That's a, that's a flex for the rest of the season. 
that's gold for moss, but not for Singletary. So then you have for to sure. do some rejiggering. John Brown practiced in full on Thursday. He was dealing with a calf issue, although on this week's injury report, it showed up as a knee. Regardless, he should play on Monday night. The extra day obviously gives him more time to get healthy. I still like Gabriel Davis to sneak in here. I mentioned the projected point total a little bit earlier. And Davis has been fire per PFF. He is the only rookie to record rookie receiver to record a perfect passer rating of 158.3 when targeted so far in 2020. His height gives him gives Josh Allen added advantage. You know, if you are looking for a high upside dart throw, if you are maybe in one of those super deep leagues that I talked about and you just need to chase points because this, the player you spent the most uh, money on, you spent most of your salary on Dak Prescott and Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, and now you don't know what the hell's going to happen. Maybe you need to <laughs> chase some points. So maybe you trot out in your flex position, uh, Gabriel Davis, because we know that the ceiling is absolutely there for him. I'll I'll also say that Cole Beasley is basically having a season that that would look perfectly normal for like Julian Edelman. Um, this is this is probably going to end up Beasley's best season. He's he's tracking pretty close to a thousand yards for the year. So, uh, and he's seeing very consistent targets. It was really only the one game where he scored that that highlight touchdown where he went pinwheeling. You know where he where he had to come off the field for a large portion of the game where he, where it doesn't seem like he's seen a lot of targets and been heavily involved. But that that kid's been really good, um, really really good so far, and they're willing to target him like when they get inside the 20, which is which is kind of new and fun for Beasley. Last thing, last note on this game is Sammy Watkins, uh, obviously banged up. So he probably won't play on Monday night, which means more opportunities for McCole Hardman. You have to imagine he'll move from fifth in team targets up to fourth in team targets. He's also (laughs) averaging 11 and a half yards per target, which is wide receiver 12 for that statistical category um, and offering Mahomes a QB rating of 152.6 when targeted. So again, I'm going to rank Hardman ahead of Gabriel Davis, but he's another one of these awesome high upside dart throws slash flex options. Last game, big breath. The Cardinals are playing the Dallas Cowboys. This um, is unfortunately all eyes are going to be on Andy Dalton here. Yeah, I don't I don't um, know how exciting that can be. I mean, I do think it's worth mentioning that Dalton demonstrated a fill in ability. He completed nine of 11 for 111 yards when he subbed in for Dak after Prescott left with the ankle injury last week. Um, and we have seen Dalton be a top 12 fantasy producer. I'll be a quite a minute ago, um, but twice in, in his career. So he has enough around him to support that QB 11 to QB 13 kind of production. Yeah. He, uh, in my mind, the 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 problem here, and obviously we're 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 going to continue to rank the Dallas receivers, all of them as starters, right? The problem for me is that I, while Dak was able to support, you know, three starting quality fantasy receivers plus a starter at tight end in Dalton Schultz, and every like everything was just humming. I don't I don't see Dalton as that guy. Like I think I think there's going to be two guys each week that finish as uh, uh, like 
perfectly solid fantasy starters. I think Dalton himself is going to be pretty good um, because, again, I, like he he's benefiting from the same situation that Dak was where his team is, you know, his team's defense just hemorrhages points. Right. So they're always they're always chasing points, never really taking the air out of the ball. And it's one of the best receiving cores in football. Right. So he's got a lot of options. He's going to have to chase points constantly. So that's all good. I just don't really see him supporting, you know, three viable fantasy starters week in and week out. He's he's just not obviously I mean you don't need me to tell you that he's not going to play at Dax level, but he's good enough to to keep this going at I don't know 80 85% of what it was. Kenyon Drake finally rewarded fantasy managers last week by finding the end zone. It had been a bit of a drought for him in this matchup and obviously understanding that Dallas's defense is pretty generous. Um, I've got Kenyon Drake around RB20, but I've got Chase Edmonds around RB26. Yeah, I love it. Edmonds is actually third on this team in targets. Uh, like Edmonds is seeing a ton. I mean, it's it's uh, that crushes you if you're a Kenyon Drake owner because he's only seen six targets on the entire season. Um, it's not just that he's running inefficiently. He's, he's at like 3.7 yards per carry right now, but he's only seen six targets. Edmonds has taken all that. He's got 23 targets on the year and they're not afraid to use their most dynamic playmakers when they get near the near the goal line. Right. So Edmonds, it's not like Edmonds is just a between the 20s guy. Like he's on the field when they get when they get near the end zone, which is which has been super friendly. Like we're going to be starting Edmonds throughout the bye weeks. Um, he's going to he's going to rank as a flex for me pretty consistently. And and at some point you have to think that this um, that the snaps even out between these two. I mean, Drake has been very steadily like two thirds of the snaps all season, but he hasn't. I mean, he hasn't really justified that to this point. And at some point we've got to get a little bit more Edmonds. Looking ahead to Sunday, let's make some nutty predictions. Thanks to planters. Andy, what's your nuttiest prediction for Sunday's games? Viking running back Alexander Madison is going to be the RB1. He's going to be the RB1. Uh, I feel pretty confident about that. They get, I mean, well, I'm moderately confident that this game takes place at all. Um, but assuming it does, gets Atlanta. And Atlanta's got a bad defense that is banged up right now. Um, a, a winless team undergoing total organizational change. Uh, this is a very friendly spot for Madison. There's no way that Atlanta races out to some sort of lead that takes the run out of play. Um, so I see Madison, who just absolutely dominated the touches and snaps versus Mike Boone once Dalvin Cook exited last week. Uh, I think he's going to get 25-plus touches in this one. I think he's a good bet for 150 scrimmage yards and a touchdown or two. I love it, and I am going to target the exact same matchup. Fingers crossed it does indeed happen. I want to talk about Irv Smith. We talk about tight end streamers all of the time. Well, in week five, Smith saw his first meaningful action of 2020 as a pass catcher. He recorded a career-high 64 receiving yards. He was second in team targets, tied with Justin Jefferson and Delvin Cook, who obviously, as we spoke about earlier, exited the contest earlier. He converted four of five and more impressively, he snagged two key grabs of over 20 yards. So this wasn't just dink and dunk chain moving. He has real potential. He is an electric receiver. He has NFL bloodlines. And while he was outsnapped by Kyle Rudolph, the veteran, right? That's the name we're used to hearing. It's worth noting that he ran 31 routes to Rudolph's 23. The matchup fantastic. The Falcons giving up an average of over 340 receiving yards per week. They've also allowed the second most fantasy points to opposing tight ends. I think you can absolutely fire Smith up as a stream. I'm going to be bold enough to say that he will be the tight end 10 in week six. Whoa. 
Love it. Pretty, yeah, it was pretty nutty predictions right there. What can you say? <laughs> we are a bit nuts. Thanks again to planners, and we remind you at home or wherever you are, stay satisfied with planters. All right, Andy. We got nutty. We went through the whole slate. Let's see if those games end up being played. We got no Thursday, so we can relax. I know I'm going to dig into some net. I'm really enjoying, by the way. Oh, I bet. Have you watched Cobra Kai? I think you would love Cobra Kai. Oh, no, I haven't watched it yet. And and my daughter has been has been telling me that I have to and that it's an embarrassment that I haven't. So, yes, I, <laughs> I'm going to start. Whoa. It. If your daughter is watching Cobra Kai and you're not, there is some generational coolness that is happening here. <laughs> I I can't even we'll get into this. I have a feeling I'll I'll call back to this moment on Fantasy Football Live, which kicks off 90 minutes before kickoff every single Sunday. So please join us for that. We also have a ton of podcasts. Check out the Yahoo Sports NFL podcast with Charles Robinson and Therese Paler and the Yahoo Sports College podcast with Dan Wetzel, Pete Thamel and Pat Forty. Follow us on Twitter at Yahoo Fantasy. I'm at Liz Loza underscore FF and that is at Andy Barons. One more thanks to Planters Week 6, y'all. Matt and I will recap it for you first thing Monday morning. We're out. 